Welcome, comrades and friends, to Workers' World Party's weekly broadcast, where hundreds of revolutionaries from across the world gather to strategize, to analyze, and to build the struggle for a socialist future, a workers' world. I'm one of tonight's co-hosts. My name is Romeo Channer, and I'm a Workers' World Party candidate from the San Francisco Bay Area branch. As a proud anti-Zionist Jew and a socialist, I believe that solidarity from the occupied lands here on Turtle Island to the land in Palestine is indispensable in the movement for national and workers' liberation. We have witnessed the past several weeks the extraordinary and inspirational resistance of Palestinian people against Zionist occupation and genocide, greeted by an unprecedented outpouring of global solidarity with the Palestinian struggle. In addition to mass demonstrations and rockets fired in response to Zionist bombings in Gaza, Palestinians organized a general strike on May 18th. Here in the Bay Area and around the world, millions of people came out to support Palestine and oppose the continued occupation by Israel. Thousands of miles away in Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon workers organizing a union recently lost the vote to unionize as a result of Amazon's outrageous union-busting tactics. Despite the setback, workers continue to organize in Bessemer, and the outcome of the vote is being challenged at the NLRB. In fact, testimony before the NLRB of illegal anti-union tactics may yet force them to overturn the vote. Amazon workers are also organizing elsewhere across the country, including in Staten Island, New York. So what is the relationship between these developments? What do they signify for the development of global resistance of working and oppressed people against the ruling class? We in Workers' World Party see the connections between these struggles and their impact on the overall fight for socialism in the United States. So I'd like to introduce my co-host for tonight, Judy Greenspan, whose pronouns are they, them, and who is also a member of the San Francisco Bay Area branch of Workers' World Party. Judy is also an Oakland public school teacher and member of the Oakland Education Association. Hi, thank you so much, Romeo. It is such an honor to be on this program. There is so much to talk about in relationship to both the struggle in Palestine for for liberation and the unionizing efforts of Amazon workers and the unorganized. And this issue of the liberation of Palestine is very important to me as a Jew in the United States who has fought really virtually for my entire life for the liberation of Palestine. Tonight, we have a special guest speaker with us, Larry Holmes, the first secretary of Workers' World Party, who is a writer, activist, and veteran in the struggle for socialism in this country. Larry is also a member of the Workers' Assembly Against Racism in New York City. Larry Holmes is the author of a recent article in Workers' World that appeared in the May 3rd edition entitled, A May Day 2021 Manifesto, for the revolutionary transformation of the working class. I'd like to welcome Larry to the program. This is such an auspicious occasion uh, with the uh, tremendous developments in Palestine, you know, for such a long time, quite a few years really, it felt that the repression of the US-backed racist Israeli state had paralyzed the movement and even had an impact on the solidarity movement, although uh, those who have been trying to organize the boycott of Israel have been certainly pushing ahead 
and also meeting repression on campuses and so forth. But what we've seen, comrades and friends, over these past few weeks in the month of May 2021 is nothing short of a revolutionary revival of the Palestinian liberation struggle in a way that in, on many levels is unprecedented. It's unprecedented because in addition to the brave resistance of the soldiers who are fighting with inferior weapons, the tanks and the planes and the bombs that the Israelis are supplied by the U.S., you have a general strike. I think this is the first of a kind, especially a general strike that is not only in the occupied territories of Gaza and the West Bank, but even in the Arab communities inside Israel. I may be mistaken, but I think that's a first. A general strike joined by millions, joined by unions, supported by the Palestinian Labor Federation, by other unions, by community organizations. And this brought into this resistance struggle against this new violent Israeli attack on the Palestinian people, different social forces. And it gave the liberation struggle a class character. That's what a general strike does. And I think that is just one of the things that have taken this struggle, ratcheted it up a couple of knots. And I think the world on both sides of the class barriers is paying a lot of attention to it. This may be, we're being a little equivocal because we have to see what happens now. This very well may be the beginning of the third intifada of the Palestinian people. On top of what happened 20 years ago, they offended the Palestinians by going to the Alaska mosques and, and then what happened uh, approximately 16 to 17 years before that, the first intifada. And this could be the biggest intifada because never has there been, it seems, more unity and more solidarity by the millions of Palestinians and Arabs in the occupied areas and around the Middle East. And one should add that, at least to my recollection, there's never been the international solidarity. I mean, one has never seen so many protests, not only in large numbers, thousands of protests all over the globe, Europe, Asia, Latin America, Africa, South Africa, the Middle East, uh, of course, the United States, West Coast, New York. But the size of these demonstrations, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, I don't believe we've seen that, comrades, in quite some time. It seems in some respects that those of us such as myself, who a few months ago were looking at this brave attempt to organize an Amazon warehouse in Alabama, a anti-union so-called right to work state, 
led by black workers, that that would be the struggle that sort of woke up the working class, not only the more than 1 million workers who work for Amazon and Whole Foods, which it owns, but it would be a global waking up because Amazon is a global company and pretty much represents the face of high-tech capitalism in 2021. It remains to be seen whether that will happen. We all know the outcome wasn't what we hoped it would be, but it still may be that because there's a lot to say about that and perhaps we'll talk more about that tonight. But this revival of the struggle of the Palestinian people in such a strong, united way, demanding an end to the apartheid Israel state, this indeed may be the struggle that wakes up the workers and the oppressed of the world because it appears to have electrified the workers and the oppressed everywhere. And it's analogy with the struggle of the people of the United States, particularly black and brown people against racist police terror, of course is obvious. Thank you, Larry. And as we look at solidarity with Palestinian resistance fighters and Palestinian people, how can we connect that to solidarity with unorganized workers like the folks at Amazon in Bessemer, Alabama? And could you talk about why Workers World helped to organize this solidarity movement? And how is this a part of your May Day manifesto? Well, first and foremost, it is the obligation, the revolutionary duty of communists and all those who are in the class struggle leading ultimately toward worldwide socialist revolution. In order to make that real, we have to support the national liberation struggles and none is more important than the struggle of the Palestinian masses, their liberation forces against the racist apartheid Zionist state and its occupation. The workers have to support that just like they need to support the uprising against the police here in this country. And it's our job as revolutionary communists to do whatever we can to organize demonstrations, not only to make statements, but to turn those statements into actions. And the US workers have a special role in this. That is because the Israeli apartheid state is more than the racist oppressor of Palestinians and Arabs. It's a bulwark of US imperialism. It's tanks, its weapons, its bombs are paid for by U.S. And so we in the U.S. have an extra responsibility. And the U.S. labor movement must now feel the pressure, the hot global pressure to reverse its longtime sad and unfortunate position of supporting the reactionary racist state of Israel. So, Larry, the title of this program, 
is the revolutionary transformation of the working class. And so what I'm wondering is, can you talk a little bit about how the working class and the work that the working class has done has changed over the past 50 years? And what do you really mean by the revolutionary transformation of the working class? What changes are happening now and what do they mean? Yes, this was part of the gist, the essence of the May Day Manifesto for 2021 that I wrote a few weeks ago calling for the revolutionary transformation of the working class. In part, I wrote this in response to the crisis throughout the working class movement that was underscored by the uh, results of the vote for a union in Bessemer, Alabama, regarding the Amazon workers fighting for a union. That showed more than any other thing in recent times that now is the time for the working class to begin undergoing a revolutionary transformation. What do we mean by that? A couple of basic things. As we all know, the working class, which has actually grown in this country, because a lot of people who, based on getting a higher education and owing a lot of money, a lot of debt based on that, have found out that instead of this education securing them a role in the petty bourgeoisie or even in the bourgeoisie, the global capitalist economic crisis has pushed them into the working class. But yet the overwhelming majority of workers, whatever they're doing, workers who still have manufacturing jobs, and those jobs are shrinking for some time now, workers in the gig economy, home care workers, workers in health care, any kind of worker that you can imagine, graduate students who are organizing unions, sex workers, they are not organized, especially in the private sector. And while workers are doing a little bit better in the government sector, they're under attack everywhere. And so this is a crisis. If there is no way of beginning a mass campaign of organizing workers just to defend themselves against the capitalist attack, unemployment, austerity, union busting, what happens when unemployment benefits expire? What happens when the various moratoriums against being evicted from your home or your apartment expire? We've got to take action. My manifesto addresses that and talks about the problem of having to rely on traditional trade unionism, which is still important and still good for those workers who have it and those workers who can get it. But the workers who have it, that's generally based on a period that has long since passed when the ruling class had, based on a lot of class struggle, agreed to a kind of a quote unquote peace agreement with the working class and therefore allowed them to organize and have collective bargaining. But comrades and friends, long ago, the ruling class tore up this peace agreement and declared full out class war. And this is the reason why 
most workers cannot get organized on the basis of traditional trade unionism. That's a big part of the crisis of unionism. And so as revolutionaries, as militant workers in the working class, we have to come up with alternative ways of organizing workers. One of the ways that we put forward is the organization of workers' assemblies. And I would say that we've got a lot of our inspiration and a lot of our example from what some Black workers have done in the South, particularly in North Carolina, where they've organized the Southern Workers' Assembly. I'll talk about that a little later, but let me just wrap this response up by saying that beginning a transformation of the working class, that is the way in which it's organized, but more than that, it's politics needing to be more anti-capitalist, needing to be more anti-racist in order to make sure that the workers are united and needing to have more and more revolutionary leadership in order to liberate itself from the chains of the liberal bourgeoisie as represented by the Democratic Party, we have to know at this juncture that the working class can make no progress, not in defending its immediate interests and not along the road to socialist revolution unless it does this. And so, when we speak of the need for a revolutionary transformation of the working class, it's multi-level, it's organizational, it's political, it involves the leadership, it involves intervening in the existing organized labor movement, pushing those who are tied to the Democratic Party back, elevating those who want to break with the Democratic Party, it means quite a few things. And I think that this necessity for a revolutionary transformation of the working class should really dominate the agenda of the left. What we're talking about, what we're arguing about, what we're planning about, and also what we're finding ways to unite around, because if we're able to begin it, I believe it's possible that this will bring about a new realignment of the left forces with the most revolutionary militant anti-capitalist left forces playing a very important vanguard role. Thank you, Larry. I'm just going to make a quick announcement before we keep moving through this amazing conversation. So Workers' World Party newspaper has been in continuous circulation since 1959. During the first months of the COVID pandemic, uh, this print edition was temporarily suspended, but we are happy to announce that we have resumed printing physical copies of the Workers' World newspaper again on a monthly basis. You can subscribe and receive the Workers' World newspaper by email at workers.org. All right. Uh, Judy, do you want to take the next one? Sure. I do want to say that the um, latest issue of the paper, which is a print edition, is our special issue for LGBTQ plus 
Pride, and it has a really amazing article. Workers World Party is asking that people around the country who are organizing LGBTQ plus events, that they organize against the laws that are criminalizing trans youth and trans youth's right to determine their own gender identity. So you can read it online. You can also hopefully get a paper copy at upcoming events. Larry, this is an amazing conversation. And I know we're making you jump back and forth from Palestine to Alabama or from Palestine to the U.S. working class. And of course, there are many parallels and many similarities. So it's not that much of a jump, but I am going to throw you a, a little bit of a curveball. The U.S. refuses to recognize Hamas as a part of the Palestinian movement for liberation, even though Hamas was voted overwhelmingly into leadership in Gaza. And I was honored to be able to visit Gaza well, about 11 years ago and attend a meeting that was led by Hamas. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for the leadership there. How can workers best support the self-determination of the Palestinian people? And what is the relationship between the struggle to free Palestine and the Black Lives Matter movement? Well, first and foremost, it is not up to the oppressor, to the imperialist, to the colonizer, to determine who negotiates, who represents the national liberation struggle of a people. It's up to the people. And actually, the events of the past few weeks, this tremendous, powerful unity amongst the Palestinian people manifested through a general strike, shows that they're united. And at this moment, I doubt whether they give a damn who the U.S. or who the U.S.'s bulldogs, the Israelis, want to recognized as the official representatives of the Palestinian people. The unity on the ground is so overwhelming that I don't think that the Palestinian people are even thinking about that. They've demonstrated that. Listen to us, listen to what we're doing, because that's where the power lies. As for the workers' movement and the labor movement in this country, and for the left, and I think that we're improving based on some of the statements in solidarity with the Palestinians coming from various unions, various radical trade unionists. I've read them and they're good. They're a good start, comrades, but they can only be viewed as a start. Ultimately, our struggle. And every struggle is a continuation of a struggle that must move to a higher and higher level. The aim of our struggle with respect to the labor movement, however you define that in this country, is for it to break with U.S. imperialism, period. Break with being associated with or supporting U.S. imperialist policy in relationship to Palestine, the Middle East, Africa, Asia, Latin America, all of the world. That's the only solution. And fully embracing instead what we used to call and what we've got to bring back, working class internationalism, where the view 
The goals of the imperialists mean nothing. We are against them. And the objective and goals of a global working class movement, which includes all of the oppressed people and has no boundaries, no geographical boundaries, no language boundaries, not even cultural boundaries, as important as culture is. That has to be the direction. And in some ways, that's what the Palestinian response to this latest aggression has reminded me of. You forget about that, but then something shows you, reminds you that it's possible. And that's what this new intifada is showing us. For the left forces, whether it's our party, Workers' War Party, or everyone else who considers them a socialist and considers the working class struggle central to their mission, to their task, we've got to make sure that whatever we're doing, whether it's supporting the uprising of the Black Lives Matter struggle, which is so important, remember what was happening a year ago. It was a global rebellion by the millions. Remember what was happening in Seattle, in Portland, as well as Minneapolis, and all over, all over the country, and in London and other places. It's our job, comrades, to fight, to strategize, to plan, to work with others, to see that this struggle has an anti-capitalist character and also has a class character, which means calling on unions, calling on the labor movement to hold work stoppages in solidarity with the struggle against racism so that it is known that this is a class struggle. If we don't do this, then we know what will happen. One way or another, even after tremendous uprisings where millions of people militantly take the streets and shut shit down, as that unravels and slows down, the message will be usurped by the Democrats. The only way that you can stop that is if the struggle more and more takes on an anti-capitalist and class character. Thank you, Larry. That's wonderful. And I want to add on a question we got from a viewer who's asking if you could talk a bit about the relationship between the racist cops here and the Israeli occupation forces and the way that not only weapons, but information and training are exchanged between these two racist settler states. It's common knowledge to anyone who is interested in finding out about this, that the collaboration between the Israeli army, the Israeli police, Mossad, their secret service, the CIA, the various other secret services and militaries of the imperialist countries and their satellite countries around the world. You know, it's common knowledge. As a matter of fact, many police forces, including police forces in cities, police departments in cities across this country travel to Israel to get their training and use Israeli methods and Israeli 
weapons. So that's one part of this. But I think that the dynamic changing part of this, which is sort of waking people up, opening our eyes, you know, sometimes you know that something's going on, but you don't see it. And it takes some kind of development before you say, yeah, right. You know, you and I, uh, we could have talked a month ago or a year ago about the analogies between the struggle in this country against the racist police and all of the victims and the struggle of the Palestinian people who are being arrested in mass as we speak, by the way. And some of us would have known that, others of us might know it. But today, because of the intersection of these two developments on a global scale, you and I know that Everywhere in the world, people are talking about this. It's not just me and you. It's not just a handful of socialists and communists, but movements are talking about this. People are writing poems about it. They're writing essays about it. It's having a lot of influence. And now you see that this struggle of those who are fighting racist police repression in this country and those who are fighting the racist repression of the Israeli state. It's the same fight. It's not a secret. Actually, it is the basis for the cementing of a movement. And I wish I could say with confidence that this understanding is going to lead to some big global developments that will push our movement forward. I won't go that far, but I'll say this. The basis for that, the basis for that has never been there as much as it is today. And I would be somewhat disappointed, even surprised, if it doesn't lead to just a whole new level, not only of understanding, but also unity and action, you know, when our Palestinian friends and comrades and fighters have a general strike, I think the thing that those of us who are global revolutionaries should think about is how that can be turned into a global general strike against the system. And how as far off and unlikely as that may have seemed, how much more likely it feels and seems now. And it's so important for the revolutionary left, even while it's fighting on a day-to-day basis around the needs of the unemployed, the needs of those who are being evicted, getting food and health care for those who are still dealing with COVID-19, supporting the nurses in Massachusetts who have been on strike now for several months, and I think they're bringing in scabs. You know, we got to be concerned with this, supporting the Amazon workers who are organizing everywhere, including here in New York and Staten Island. We also have to have that global view of worldwide revolution and how every struggle, no matter how local, no matter what the issues, is part of a stepping stone to a global revolutionary perspective. 
That's called revolutionary dialectics. That's part of revolutionary transformation of our global class. If you like this revolutionary Marxist analysis that you're hearing, if you're interested in joining a revolutionary Marxist-Leninist party that is helping to organize, that is out in the streets defending the Palestinians as well as many other struggles, we encourage that you check out workers.org backslash join and join our party. Fill out the form there and an organizer will be in touch with you as soon as possible. If you just even want information about Workers' World Party, you can use that form. So we have a history of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union taking a stand against Zionism and against police terror. They shut down the port to support Oscar Grant against many of the shootings and murder of black and brown people. And in 2014, they shut down the port of Oakland and several other ports on the West Coast to defend the people of Gaza and to demand an end to the Israeli bombing of Gaza, which was happening at that time. And we are within a few days, perhaps, of another Israeli ship. And because of the actions of so many people led by the Palestinian community, Israeli ships have not come into the port of Oakland since 2014. But we may see them in the next couple of days, and we're all on high alert. And we know that the ILWU is is going to do another work stoppage to show their solidarity. So it would be great if other unions would look at that and say, yeah, why didn't we do that? And not only, of course, for Palestine, but, you know, every time the police murder a black or brown person or assassinate or lynch, a response by labor would be absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I do want to ask you this question. You know, we've been talking a little bit about Biden and, and people are very aware, you know, the Biden administration won't talk to Hamas and They're doing all these bills. And during the Amazon struggle, Mm -hmm. Biden came out and said, oh, yeah, I'm for workers having a union. So one remedy that might stop the criminal efforts of companies like Amazon, which steal and cheat during union elections, is the PRO Act, the Protect the Right to Organize Act. And it's currently stalled in the Senate, which is famously known as the Millionaires Club. And so now Biden and everyone else throws their hands up or either spends their life lobbying or throws their hands up and says, oh my gosh, it'll never get passed. We might as well just give it up. So what do you think about the PRO Act? What do you think about the energy being spent on it? Is this the right strategy? And what will it take to make organizing the unorganized a reality? Well, let me just start by saying that to me, one of the reasons why Biden is reading from the playbook of Roosevelt, FDR, and the concessions that Roosevelt made 80, 85 years ago to really prevent another Russian revolution happening right here in the United States. He's doing this because I think in some ways, Biden and his advisors, maybe more his advisors than him, they see a little bit more down the road than even some of the uh, official labor leaders. They see the prospect of a militant, widespread working class uprising in this country. They see it in the making and they're trying to stop it by taking measures that kind of blunt it, buy it off, confuse it, make some concessions. We'll see how that all works out. But back to the PRO Act, 
this would be laws that would make it easier for workers to organize. Those of you who follow labor know that really over the past 50 years and particularly in the last maybe 25 or 30 years, the ruling class has taken measures that make it virtually impossible for more and more workers to unionize in the traditional union way. Without going into the specifics, the uh, Protect the Right to Organize, that's the PRO Act, addresses some of these things. A lot of people believe in their right that if some of these measures would have been enacted, that it would have been easier for the workers in Bessemer, Alabama, at that Amazon warehouse, to succeed in their effort to unionize and fight the terror campaign that Jeff Bezos and Amazon waged against them. So that's nice. We want this bill to be passed. The Senate's not going to pass it. Some while ago, we put forward the demand that Biden should take the PRO Act and turn it into an executive order and issue it yesterday. And that would enact some of these laws. And we have a petition for that. And we're still organizing around that. But in the final analysis, just like in the 1930s, just like at any time when the class struggle was hot and heavy and concessions were won by the workers on the basis of that class struggle, the working class is going to have to step up. And if conservative leaders in the labor movement are in the way and keeping the lid on the workers, they're going to have to be pushed aside. They're going to have to be removed. It's a little bit of an embarrassment. I mean, if the Palestinians, who have no rights at all, who are occupied, whose buildings, whose hospitals, whose sewer systems have been destroyed, I mean, consider what they face. If they can unite and have a general strike, if millions can come out on the street and shut cities down in response to the lynching of George Floyd. You're gonna tell us that the labor movement can't get several million workers to take one afternoon, an afternoon after lunch and walk off their job to demand passage of the PRO Act or demand that Biden issue an executive order? It doesn't make sense. You see the imbalance there. The working class here has got to catch up, and it is catching up. But that catch up has to come a little faster. And that pushing aside of those who say they're for the working class but are holding it down, that struggle has to be a little sharper. I think that some of us in the coming days and weeks and months, Not only do we need to send petitions to the various labor leaders, we're going to have to organize rank and file delegations and come knocking on the doors of labor leaders to tell them, you got to do this and you got to do that. Or maybe somebody else has to do your job. Because if you keep on doing what you're doing, which is getting us nowhere, we're not going to be able to make progress in this struggle that we're trying to have 
with the capitalist system to defend us. Amazing. Thank you so much. Before we move to the next question, another quick little plug. These webinars are made possible by viewers like you. So if you want to donate to Workers World Party, you can do so through our Venmo at Workers World or our website, workers.org slash donate. We also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash WWP. And this specifically supports subscriptions for hundreds of incarcerated workers who get our paper for free. The next question, which I think you answered in part in that last response, is can you comment on the significance of the current debate taking place in the Congress and the Biden administration regarding genocidal attacks on Gaza and the resistance? Is there a way for the working class to intervene independently to widen this schism or is it a waste of time? Well, we're going to have to come up with a strategy for labor in relationship to showing maximum solidarity with the Palestinian people in their just liberation struggle. It's time for the various forces on the left and particularly those who are in the working class and for whom the struggle of the working class is an important and serious and decisive question to talk about this. I've raised to a number of comrades the wisdom of having a workers assembly in solidarity with Palestine, maybe because of COVID, it still needs to be a virtual event. So we need to talk about this. It's time to talk about it. We're obliged to talk about it. Maybe someone has a better idea, but I really think that wrapping our head around the prospects and the timing for a national workers' assembly in solidarity with Palestine as a planning session amongst trade unionists and workers to map out a strategy that pushes the labor movement in the right direction. Maybe that's not the most important thing, but until someone can think of something better, I think it should be on the table. Thank you so much, Larry. You sort of lead into what my next question is. Because you talked a little bit about the workers' assemblies, and I know you're a member of the workers' assembly against racism, but a lot of us, we don't really know what you're talking about when you're talking about organizing workers' assemblies. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what they're really about and sort of how do they, how do they play a role in strengthening the workers' movement? I know you mentioned it in your May Day manifesto as the way that really labor should go in terms of the uh, unorganized. and. My final, just as part of this, could this be a potentially revolutionary style of organizing? It's simple, comrades. We can no longer allow the impediments, the difficulties of organizing workers into traditional trade unions to stop the mass organization of workers. Where workers can be organized into traditional unions, and somehow, either through an NLRB election or through a strike, win recognition, engage in collective bargaining, right on, right on. Power to those workers. 
but for the overwhelming majority of the workers, many of them in precarious, more and more precarious working circumstances, forced to work part-time, forced to work temporary, not even call workers, call contractors and all sorts of stuff like that. Local laws against them being even covered by the ineffective laws that are supposed to give workers some right under the NLRB. We've got to find a new way of organizing workers en masse. And one of these ways is the mass organization of workers' assemblies on the local basis. We have the Southern Workers' Assembly as a template for it. They organize workers' committees, whether it's government workers, whether it's workers in an Amazon facility, whether it's workers in a sweatshop somewhere, and they bring them together on a monthly basis where they make reports. Why can't we do this in the Bay Area, in New York, throughout the South? That's what the Southern Workers' Assembly is trying to do right now, open up new workers' assemblies all over. Why can't we do this everywhere? They're not trade unions in the traditional sense. They're not necessarily going to be acknowledged by the boss. We may not be able to engage in negotiations, although if we become powerful enough, who knows what we can do? There are a lot of uh, unions in the non-union Southern states, a lot of them influenced, if not directly related to the Southern Workers Assemblies, who carry on negotiations week to week based on all sorts of issues, defending the rights of unions. And the good thing about the workers' assemblies is that they will have a more revolutionary, a more inclusive politics. One of the problems with traditional trade unionism is that all too often, it's about these workers in this industry. It's about these workers in this location. Are we in solidarity with other workers in another city or in another industry? Well, maybe, maybe on a kind of a a ceremonial basis, but not in some real way. The whole idea of workers' assemblies is that part of its mandate of its mission is to increase the awareness, the knowledge, of other workers fighting and how similar that is and how we should find ways to be in support of each other. It's one of the things that we did and quite successfully when the party was one of the initiating groups in organizing solidarity actions with the workers in Bessemer, Alabama, trying to organize Amazon. We were instrumental in organizing solidarity demonstrations in over 50 localities. And it was workers supporting other workers. One of the things that workers assemblies can do is do this on a continuous basis, but not just for one struggle. The Amazon struggle is important, but so is the struggle of gig workers. So is the struggle of workers at Target. So is the struggle of housekeeping workers, of home care workers, support for strikes. You take this strike 
in Massachusetts. I think it's Brookingdale, I'm not sure. It's the longest strike in 2021. I think it's 800 nurses. And as I said before, about two weeks ago, the company started bringing in scams. Wouldn't it be tremendous for workers all around the country to have some kind of manifestation to show some kind of solidarity with these nurses? And these nurses are not only fighting so that they will be safe from COVID, they're fighting because they have been denied, both in terms of staffing and in terms of means, the ability to take care, especially of the poorest patients that they have. And there are struggles like this going on in hospitals all over the country. I mean, I could talk all night about what workers' assemblies can do, but I want to stress because it's, I can't think of anything more necessary. The role of workers' assemblies just bringing about a higher level of consciousness of the struggles of other workers and showing solidarity. You don't know what it means to a worker who is out there on the picket line when they see somebody, even a handful of people in a place like Oakland or San Francisco, you know, or Berkeley, they're having a picket line in front of a hospital and they're talking about what we're doing here in Massachusetts. Or there's a struggle in Texas somewhere, say in San Antonio where some nurses are fighting and something is going on in Detroit or in New York and Manhattan or in Brooklyn or in Cleveland or, uh, or in Jackson, Mississippi or in Florida. And they're talking about what we're doing. This is like bringing fresh air, strength and inspiration to workers who are on the barricades. And at the beginning, it can be done in symbolic levels, but ultimately, and I really feel that this is gonna change the working class globally, ultimately, we wanna reach a point where the working class can engage in a bigger way in shutdowns and strikes in solidarity with a particular important struggle be it in this country or somewhere else, including Palestine. Thank you so much, Larry. And thank you to our audience, to everyone who tuned in, and especially to everyone who asked questions. I'm sorry we couldn't get to more of them, but it's time to move on to closing comments. So, Larry, I'm just going to hand it right back to you to make any closing remarks. Well, the only thing I can think of by way of closing out is pretty much at every epoch in every part of the world in the class struggle, there reaches a point where the interests of the workers are stymied, they're frozen, they're paralyzed because there are issues and contradictions that have to be dealt with in order for the workers' struggle to move forward in this country in the 1930s had some trade unionists not broken in 1936 with the official trade union movement 
which was oriented toward the more privileged trades. And those trades, conservative, moderate union leaders were not interested, were not prepared to do what was necessary to embrace the millions and millions of industrial workers who had just gotten jobs in big auto and steel plants throughout the country, especially in the Midwest, but every part of the country. They broke away. They formed the CIO. And based on that, there were these militant struggles. There was the Flint sit-down strike, which spread throughout the auto industry and so many other landmark militant struggles. In other words, there was a problem and the working class found a way to break through that problem. We are at such a point. And when you think about the need for the next step being a revolutionary transformation of our class organizationally and politically, that is what we need to do now in the same way that workers 80 or 85 years ago needed to do what they had to do in order to move the class struggle forward. Except now, I think the step is much bigger and it's more global. And that's in keeping with the fact that the world is smaller and the working class is more in communication with each other. All of this fancy communication technology that the military came up with, they use it against us. But as revolutionary Marxists know from time immemorial that how workers have pushed the struggle forward is by usurping this technology and using it against the oppressor. Practically, that means using social media to talk on an in-time basis with comrades and friends and allies and workers all around the world that enable us to do things that, frankly, we could not have done five years ago or maybe even two years ago. So it's much more. This transformation is much more necessary on a global level. With that said, those of us in the belly of the beast here in the United States of imperialism, we have a special role because this is still the monster, U.S. imperialism, holding everybody back. And everybody, every oppressed person in the Middle East and Africa and Asia and Latinx America, in Europe too, they're looking to us. Question is, are we ready? There can only be one answer. Thank you, Larry. Thank you so much. This has been such a dynamic conversation and discussion about these two very, very pressing questions. And then we had to end with a chant. You want to take it first? Absolutely. From the river to the sea, Palestine, Palestine must will be free. Long live the Intifada. Long live, Long the, live Intifada. the Intifada. The workers united will never be defeated. The workers united will never be defeated. defeated. Everybody, Join us. Stay safe, get involved, and build a workers' world. Thank you for joining us tonight.